Hey guys, this is Mark Owings, and I'm your host for the Unbridled Life Podcast, where we have real, raw, and unreligious conversation to encourage and challenge men and women in their daily lives. Well, welcome to the Unbridled Life Podcast. Uh, Today is super fun for me, pumped up, because I get to have a guest on who is a friend, a brother, who walks with me, lives life with me. Though I live in Texas and he lives in Florida, uh, we've been connected, divinely connected, and it's just been such a joy. So I want to welcome my friend and brother, Todd Stevenson. Todd, welcome to The Unbridled Life. Thank you, Mark. Thanks so much. It's a joy to be here. Uh, It's a joy to talk with you, to share, and even let some others just get a little glimpse into things that we talk about all the time. But uh, yeah, it's really, really good to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks yeah, so you get to be a fly on the wall today and listen to a conversation that I, I think impacts men, women, children, across the board, demographics, rich, poor, it doesn't matter. And, it, and, it's, a, and it's a very real topic for all of us. But Todd, let's just start off. Tell us a little bit about you, your family, and how you were raised, and then we'll just dive into this topic. Yeah, I am married 33 years now. Uh, a wonderful woman. Uh, we've been blessed with four daughters, <laughs> no boys. I don't know anything Swimming about in the estrogen, baby. It's true. I don't know anything about raising boys, but uh, <laughs> yeah, and they're all grown. I mean, my youngest is 18. I got a 21, 24, and 26 year old. The oldest is married, yep. uh, which is almost three years now. So we're just uh, really, yeah, really, really blessed. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty fun. Okay, uh, I, I got to ask you this question: What is your unbridled advice to people out there listening who are raising daughters, not boys? Yeah, well, you know, it, it's it's funny, I and mean, there's probably so a lot of things I could say you'd be, you know, you'd recognize, right? Like, you know, get used to doing a whole lot more listening than you do talking, for example. Um, you know, they have a lot of words and they need to use them. But you know what's funny? One of the things that I would tell men that you may not have heard, but is so important, and this isn't just true about daughters, this is true about wives, is they all test me. And they don't stop testing me. They will intentionally reject me in some way to see if I will continue to pursue. Wow. Um, and I've noticed it, you know, having this many daughters, um, my wife will do it too, but you know, you, it's easy to take things personally when it's your wife, you know, when it's your kids, it's a little, but they all do it. They'll push back in some way, reject in a way, but they're not actually rejecting me. They're testing. If he really loves me, if he really wants to know, if he's really interested, he'll come back. You know, he won't go away. And he, they periodically do it and they'll do it over and over again. It's just, I think it's, it's I'm convinced at this point, it's the way God made them. Man, that's good advice for me to hear, for anyone to hear. Yeah. Keep the pursuit up. They're not testing you. They're testing to see if you'll pursue. And that's exactly what we do with the Lord sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, yeah we do. Yes, yeah, so one cross is over. So you're married. You got four kids. What do you do for a living? So primarily I have a business, uh, doing business consulting. So I, I help I help businesses manage primarily their information security program and comply with information security audits, which information security includes everything from HR to how we secure networks and that kind of thing. We're going to jump into this topic because I I love it because you don't hear a lot. 
lonely and loneliness. Yeah. And so tell us, tell us a little bit your story, your journey with those and, and define, if you will, the difference between lonely and loneliness as you go through this process. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really happy to, I, I aloneness for me, uh, which is really my core wound, um, as you know, from my childhood is aloneness and aloneness for me was identity. It was spoken off over me. You are alone and that's who you are and nobody wants to be with you. And so I, I believe that's who I was, you know, loneliness is this healthy feeling we get when we need people and, you know, we feel lonely. It's a reminder, Hey, I need, I need people. I wasn't healthy enough to be lonely. <laughs> um, you had graduated that. Yeah. I hadn't graduated to loneliness. Um, uh, that's who I was. And so, so I have to my hundred percent. You were alone. Yeah. Well, how did that yeah. play out in your childhood? Yeah, it, you know, you act in way, and I didn't realize it at the time. Obviously, this is all retrospective looking back, but you, you believe you're alone. So you don't expect people to want you, to invite you, to include you, to stick around, to value you or anything like that, to help you, nothing like that. So you, I, I didn't realize, but I acted like nobody was going to be there for me, that nobody, wa- I believe nobody wanted to be with me. So I acted like they weren't going to want to be around me. So they didn't want to be around me. So it, it became this self-fulfilling prophecy. And, you know, as my life went on, I was constantly excluded, alone, outside, you know, feeling unwanted, uninvited, all those kinds of things. And so that lie got reinforced. It just seemed more and more true the older I got. And of course, if I'm alone, then it's up to me. Right. So self-reliance, um, you know, independence, uh, was, was rampant and, you know, I didn't let people in, I didn't into my heart at all. So, so I always talk about this and I always want to pre- put a precursor on here. There is no perfect parent exit, no. you know, the father, Jesus and the Holy spirit, they're incredible parents, but their kids, us, we, prone to wander and yeah. test as you yeah. so yeah. put it out there. Um, but, you know, tell me how your parents either helped that hurt that or fostered that. Yeah. Well, Not knowing. Yeah. I mean, they didn't realize, I didn't realize I was struggling with that until later. And, you know, through counseling, right in my thirties, did I realize that, that I had a profound aloneness and a profound sense of aloneness. Um, and it wasn't even until fully alive, this event, you know, the event that elevate puts on in 2017 that I would even realize where the root of that was. But, um, yeah, they, you know, they didn't know any better. Right. I mean, you can't give away what you don't have. And they, they, they gave me what they had and they did not give me what they didn't have, that they didn't receive. You know, and I know my dad, um, you know, he's abused as a child and and he was determined. He made a vow. I'm not going to do that to my kid. But for him, that meant not being around, you know, so he just he was a workaholic, made sure he wasn't, you know, he wasn't around to get angry and abuse me. You know, he did. He wasn't able to get freedom from that anger. So but he was determined not to do what his dad did to me. So for him to not do that to me, he just he had to be not around. So he was just always working, you know? So, 
like if like my dad never I don't remember I don't have a memory of him throwing the football with me or playing catch with me or going into my you know going to my sports games that was always my mom. Um, so and your parents separated at se when you were seventeen years old. Yeah, but up exactly. to seventeen, that's wild. He's working so hard and probably in his mind, I don't know. I'm not interviewing him, but like I'm gonna provide. I'm I'm gonna do the things that I think a dad does. And it's crazy to me how the enemy can lie to somebody and say the best thing for you not to do to cause this to pass on is remove yourself, which, yeah. you know, God gave you to your father. And just how the enemy lies this. I had the opportunity of meeting Todd's mom on FaceTime before we did this. She reminded me of my mom. I look at her immediately. I, you know, I blew kisses to her and it was the first time I met her. Like, And she said, I love you. I said, I love you too. But one of the things she said that I thought was pretty profound, she said, you know, back in our day, there were not books yeah. on how to raise kids. You know, we've got grown kids, God's way, baby wise. We've got all kinds of stuff. We've got the internet information at our fingertips. They didn't. They had Dr. Spock, which was, and I'm not talking about Star Trek. I'm talking about a psychologist that wrote some horrible material that people adopted. Mm -hmm. And we paid the price for that in the 70s and 80s in the way that we were raised. But you know, she wanted, she, she gave everything she could. She's an incredible mother, yeah. but until you get a revelation personally, and I think sometimes we get stuck. I want to say this for me, I got stuck all the way. I would say until my early forties, I blamed my father for the pain I had. And I think that's a natural cycle that we go through, yeah. but it wasn't until I took some ownership of, Hey, Mark, you left home at 16 or 17. He was gone at 16 or 17. When did you take personal responsibility for the way you respond or react to what was done? Yeah, that I, I affirm that. That was my experience too. My counselor did such a phenomenal job walking me through that, but I had the same mentality. If my dad would just own the stuff that he didn't own then, right. you know, and he would give me the things that he didn't give me then now I'd be healed. You know, here I am married out kids at the, uh, this point. And the more pressure I put on him, the more, you know, the more, the uglier it got. Right. Cause right. I still can't give you what I don't have. And so that's a, that's put, that's back in my, that's back in a, a wounded person into a corner, you know, and um, through that process, exactly. I, you know, my uh, counselor time, Tim introduced me to Gordon Dalby's book, father and son. And uh, that was trans that was transformative reading that book. But ultimately, where God took me is Him. You know, and and I I, I needed an, a heavenly Father that He was the one that had what I needed. And through that process of healing and realizing that part of God's plan is the inadequacy of parents. Because they're not Jesus. So no Man, matter you gotta rewind that. Say that again. Yeah. That it's part of God's plan that your parents are inadequate because they're not Jesus. It does not matter how good your parents I have good parents. My dad loves me. My mom loves me. They loved me then. My dad did provide. He's he worked hard to make sure we had what we needed. He he you know, he stayed, he created his distance out of love. I don't, I don't want to be angry. I don't want to hit him. I don't want to do what my dad did to me. So mm -hmm. I'm going to, you know, and I feel my anger boiling. He just split, you know, 
that was his way of loving me. And I'm glad he, I mean, I, I'm thankful he didn't hit me, but, um, but, but God's plan is, is, is that that inadequacy though, we're not Jesus. And so we are, no matter how good of a parent you are, you will fail your kids. My, my parents were not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. My kids have wounds too, but it was God's plan that that brokenness would lead us to an unbroken father that the imperfect mother and father, which together represent God, right? He made them male and female, you know, motherhood, fatherhood, both come from his heart, right? Um, we know him as a father through scripture, but we, we oftentimes miss the feminine, right? Jesus said, he looked at Jerusalem and says, how I've longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks, right? That's, that's the femininity of God. Because the mother heart, the feminine nature, the mother heart comes from God's heart just as much as the masculine father heart. Come on. So, you know, they, but we were meant to go to the ultimate source of love, the ultimate and, and perfect father. And and so that, yeah, there are inadequacy, my inadequacy, my, it causes and invites my own children to go, he's their people. I need, I need, I need more. I need a perfect father. And just like, and that, and, and, and when I turn to my heavenly father, I, I let, I let my dad off the hook. And then, and then he didn't feel pressure. He didn't feel condemnation. He didn't feel judgment. He felt love. He felt acceptance, man. I just, the father, the heavenly father filled my heart with honor for him. And, uh, it is. I didn't realize how much I, as a son, needed to feel honor for my father. Regard, you know, and, and the Heavenly Father filled me with this honor for him that he has for him. You know, and I was looking at honor as a performance thing. You know, I'll give honor if you deserve it. And my father's, you know, my father's like, it's not about that. He needs it. But it wasn't just that he needs it. I didn't realize how much I needed to have and feel and give away honor to my father. Like I needed that. And it couldn't be based on his performance. It had to be based upon his value to my heavenly father. And you think about it, I'm all the stuff I've done to my kids, the, the amount of the, just the ways I've screwed up. Me too. And, I need to feel, I need honor from them, not because I deserve it, but, but because that's the way I'm made. Like I just, I need to be honored and it helps me be honorable. It's, um, it's crazy. You're, just, you're saying something that's worth me just for me to re-say re this because, you know, as I look in the screen, you're never going to get healed. I'm not going to get healed. Todd's not going to get healed while I'm pointing in the finger and say, it was Todd who wounded me. It was this person who wounded me. I need God's perspective, God's heart yeah, for how he sees that person. And I wrote down before you said that honor is never deserved because God honors us in so many ways that we can get into a place that we start believing that we deserve something or we earned it and it's like no god said i chose you you didn't choose me that's right that's and right. i chose you while you were still steeped in death mm -hmm. some versions say sin missing the mark screwed up whatever your vernacular is with whatever adjectives i think this is a pretty credible topic that we started off on 
how lonely keeps you on the outside and how you started projecting all these self-fulfilling prophecies. And I know you as a friend now and as someone who ministers and does a lot on Fully Alive uh, and facilitates and coaches and pastors and just um, coaches, counselors, people, cheerleads people on. But I would say he's he's an incredible spiritual father but it's impossible to get anointed without pain. Pain points to your purpose. That's right. And one, the enemy, I want to go back. You said that it was spoken over you that you were alone, yeah. that you weren't received, that you weren't. Who's, did, did your mom and dad speak that? Did a friend? No. no, and I'm glad you're asking me about that. Yeah, you know, if you're not familiar with Fully Alive, it, it is a, a ministry of Elevate Him. Uh, which sponsors this podcast, but I, I did go almost seven years ago and um, through a process of sitting there um, asking the Holy Spirit, when did this start? When did this root of aloneness start? And the Holy Spirit took me back to a memory when I was six years old. Uh, I spent a lot of time outside alone. We lived on a two acre property. We had an orange grove here in Florida um, it was a lake. Um, and I, I do love outside. I loved, I loved it, but I spent a lot of time alone. There's nobody with me. And, uh, he took me back to memory. I'm out there. I could see the orange grow. I was, I was on top of the pump house. So I kind of had a good view, but the orange tree was bigger. So it was like right there, you know, and over here would be the house, but it was just like, I could see a little bit of the sky and the orange tree. But, um, the enemy just spoke to my heart. You are alone. And nobody wants to be with you. He's a liar. And it planted a seed that I now know because of Fully Alive had gave me words for this, a root of rejection in my heart that caused me, you know, I mean, so when I got, you know, it just, it caused me to, 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 yeah, to project aloneness, but it left me desperate for comfort. So when me and my buddies found pornographic magazines and trash cans at 10. Here we go. We found the answer. This felt so good, you know, I, I, and again, it wasn't until fully alive that I realized that that was connected that to the rejection coming from the words, I'm alone and nobody wants to be with me, you know, and that, you know, pornography is counterfeit acceptance, you know, it, 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 you know, when a naked woman, which is meant to be a wife, you know, presents herself to me unclothed, that's acceptance. That's, I accept you. I'm inviting you in. I receive you mm. is profound acceptance, uh, you know, a profound uh, gesture of acceptance. And when we look at pornography, we're looking at a fake version of that. I had no idea, but that's why it had such a grip on me. Of course, I'm 10. I'm not even, I haven't even hit puberty yet. I don't even know what this means, but I felt so alone. My heart, you know, I was in such need of, of nurture and care in my heart and I find I felt good you know I mean and, and all this is looking back right I wasn't able to process this at the time but that took hold and it stayed with me into my into my 30s uh early 30s just had a had a grip on me um and would go to it for comfort so it was you know profound but I, I I'm, reason I'm so glad you brought that up is because I have gotten opportunity because through Elevate, I'm so thankful for it, but to walk with a lot of men and women and hear horrific stories, mm -hmm. abuse and traumas and 
where the enemy spoke the same thing to them in traumas, external traumas that were horrible to even, you know, just there's, we would all agree is horrible. And we tend to think if, if that horrible thing hasn't happened to me, I shouldn't be struggling with X, Y, I shouldn't be struggling with X, Y, Z. I see why they, I mean, they went through this, but I didn't do anything, anything like that. My story's not as important yeah, well, as I wasn't molested, I, you know, yeah. big trauma other than loneliness, but that, that in itself. Yes. You know, I, I want to take people back to a scripture. Adam is in the garden by himself. No, he wasn't by himself. He was with God. And God says this to him, Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. That's right. Time out. God is walking with Adam. That's right. If this sounds like heresy, God isn't enough. Yeah. And you go, wait, I can't believe you just said that. Well, let me say it in another way. God wasn't the total plan that he had. God wanted community and people and it wasn't just a spouse. It was friendship, a sister, a yes. someone yes. that we interacted with. And it's not good for us to be alone. So you can see this little boy at six years old on a water pump house overviewing a field, which I think is almost a prophetic message. If Todd, you're going to have a great harvest with great fruit on trees. You can't see it yet. And the enemy, Todd can't hear that at six. The enemy says, well, let me beat him to the punch because I have a feeling this guy's going to lead people out of bondage. Let me tell him you're alone and you will never be wanted. Yeah. So the seed yeah. is planted. And you said something really good. People ask all the time about lust or porn, which, you know, my story is number four on the episode with me and my wife. But I've always said this, that when it comes to lust or porn, you need deliverance. And when I mean deliverance, I'm not talking about casting stuff out. Mm -hmm. uh, it's more about getting things in love, perfect love, cast out fear. That's a casting out and a deliverance. That's right. You need discipline, but you also need a deconstruction mm -hmm. of your process and your belief system. And that's where you start training your mind on the way God thinks. And God starts saying, Hey, that, that porn, that lust isn't a spirit. Or at least it's not a spirit like what we thought, Todd. Mm -hmm. All the yeah. spirit of rejection that's ministering to you. And I'm going to give you the enemy lays the table for you and says, eat this. Yeah. This is going to make you feel accepted. But I'm just curious, did did you ever have a time that you really felt accepted through porn? <laughs> no. No, you know, you know, it's just like any addiction. You know, you feel you feel good for seconds you know maybe minutes you know and then the condemnation and then the shame and then, you know all that and the doubling down on your efforts and you know which just sets you up to fail you know it's like i i'm doing this i'm doing this illegitimate thing out of a legitimate need for comfort there's a profound oh, legitimate need for comfort I, I need to be seen i need to be accepted i need to be embraced for who i really am and, you know, I'm not experiencing that. So I'm desperate and I'm reaching out to this, <laughs> this illegitimate place to get it. And now I feel guilty and condemned and shameful, which creates a enormous need for more comfort. And the place, I, the only place I know to go that's, you know, that, or at least I believe the only place I can go that's consistently there for me is pornography. So the shame, the guilt, you know, 
That's why you know it's not from that's not from God. It's from the enemy because it drives me straight back to the porn and deepens the cycle. You know. It does. So it was yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty pretty brutal. But what you said about what God said in the garden is so true. I, you know, when it hit me, this I got introduced to a book called How People Grow by Townsend and Cloud. And the beginning of the book, they they go to the garden and spend the first few chapters like this is what God intended, and they talk about that verse. And and I remember I was reading that verse, and it just hit me like, who's saying this to Adam? Like God was with Adam, saying to him, "It's not good you're alone," and he's sitting there with him. Yeah, and so you realize God's saying, "Listen, you need more than you were made for more than me." You need me, but you also need people like you. And boy, you know, yeah. So you, you know, the enemy is is what you know is smart to go after. He's an opportunist. Go he looks that. for those opportunities to drop into. And there's another thing that I think we all—it's not just ministers, businessmen, homemakers, whatever you're in—we all experience this deep rejection from people. Uh, being human. Means you're going to experience rejection on high levels. Even you're talking about your kids yeah. testing or rejecting to see if you'll pursue. Yeah. And, but I, I I think it's it's so wild to me that some people come to the conclusion of I'm just going to build. I got a brick wall behind me. I'm just going to build walls around my life. I'll interact, but I'm not going to let you in. And we all do that in some form or fashion. Yeah, but it sounds like your walls are coming down. Can you take us? You're you're there at fully alive. God shows you this rejection, and and I'm with you. I want to say again, I know the counselor that he was going to Tim, incredibly sweet man, and I want to honor him. Yeah, but there's all these spokes that come in and set up this moment. It wasn't fully alive that set him free. It was Jesus. You know, Tim would tell you it wasn't Tim. He's filling in spokes and building this so that the wheel doesn't collapse anymore. Yeah. But what were there some of the, can you walk us through some of the steps, the practical yeah. and tactical steps that you got? Because you, you, you had a part in this. God yeah. showed it to you, but you had a part. Yeah. It, you know, so as a kid, probably you talked about the walls. So it's probably important. You, under, you know, this, this would probably be helpful to understand, but um, I realized later I made a vow I really, it was a vow and a declaration, but as a kid, I didn't feel like emotions were safe um, really at all. And so, but I had a profound need for comfort. And so I determined I didn't need comfort. I, I do not need comfort. It was a declaration that I declared over myself because I desperately needed it. I didn't believe and feel like it was available to me. And... So the only lot, you know, it, and I wasn't in a place to, con, you know, judge my parents or condemn them or blame them. So I just, I don't need it. And when I made that decision, my heart completely shut down. How old were you when you made that decision? I, I, I don't know. It was after six. You know, we moved out of that house after the second grade. Um, so I, and I started school early, a year early. So I was in kindergarten when I was four, which also set me up because I was emotionally behind in my entire school years, you know? So 
also set me up, set me up for failure, but I would have been, so, you know, we moved out of that house when I was six, seven, shortly after. So in the next house we lived in, we would have moved, uh, out of that house when I, in the sixth, into the sixth grade. So it was somewhere in that time period because I was in that house. So I'd, I don't know, eight. Did God bring you that back up on your time in the woods? No, that no. had come up. So yeah, so going back to the steps. So what happened to me was, you know, my wife and I got married young. We were both 20. We both brought all our junk into our marriage. <laughs> As all of us you do. Know, emotionally disconnected, deep root of rejection, profound in, un, underlying insecurity. Don't believe I'm going to be accepted or loved. Constantly trying to make sure my wife is going to love me, which turns into controlling behavior, you know, just uh, wasn't pretty. So, but by the time about 13 years in, uh, my wife went and spent a week helping her sister had major surgery and my mom had stepped in to take care of the kids for her and she was gone a week at least a week taking care of her while she got out of uh, taking care of her kids because she had major surgery and during that week i didn't emo i did not miss my wife at all emotionally wow. My mom and my and my wife are similar uh, personalities. She kind of stepped in and did the same job that my wife did to pretty similar proficiency. I get up, go to work, come back, you know, eat dinner, put the kids to bed. You know, my routine didn't really change. My mom did my, her job. So just like nothing, it was sort of weird. It was just like nothing changed, but my wife was gone. So it was the perfect opportunity for me to examine this. And I, I had, I did not. I had no feelings or emotions about her being gone. I didn't miss her one bit. And this is where God's redemption is. You know, my parents got divorced, like I said, when I was 17. And I'm sitting here going, I knew where that was headed because I had seen it in my parents. If this doesn't change, because wow. first for me, I was mad. She didn't give me, you know, like I, she hadn't even given me a reason to miss her. And then the Lord was, you know, and then the Lord whispers in my ear, you know, but have I given her a reason to miss me? Really? And I hadn't. Like she had every reason and right to feel exactly the same way I did. And uh, the truth is, is that we were just completely emotionally disconnected because of the stuff that, you know, from our past and, and then we just replicated that with each other. And so I just, I knew, but I knew, I knew where this was. I said, in a few years, we'll be where my parents were if this doesn't change. I knew where we were going to be. Man, when I hear this, I, I want to speak to someone out there. A lot of times people think they're not in love with their spouse anymore because they can't feel love in the 86 of marriage when it's really a root of rejection that's been it hasn't been deconstructed. It's, it's right. as a matter of fact, it keeps constructing up and cr constructing these walls, these brick by brick. Yeah. But Todd, for you to have the emotional intelligence or for God to step in that moment, you didn't feel it, but he, he showed you a truth. Yeah. And the Bible tells us you shall know a truth mm -hmm. and a truth will set you free. Yeah. So that was the moment that he starts deconstructing. You, you've got to, 
you know, the first step is you get, hey, man, I've got to be aware, like identify. That's a she's not the problem. This is in me. This is in me. And all the steps, laundry's being done, food's being cooked. But wait, intimacy is supposed to be a part of this marriage. And my mom can't provide that. My wife and I don't have that. And I may be even blocking that. Yeah. What was crazy about it is from a church perspective, we look like we had it all together. I mean, we both loved God and we were both serving God. You know, we're going to church. You know, I'm, I I think I was a deacon by this time. We're teaching Bible class. You know, we're having people in our home hosting small groups. You know, we're doing all that stuff. And we were on parallel tracks trying to serve the Lord, but completely disconnected. And headed for a train wreck. And that's God's grace. You know, I, he, yeah, he had shown me what that looks like, where that heads. Cause that's what happened to my, you know, I mean, that's what happened to my parents. How did you start stepping out of this? What were the, I tell you, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it just, I, I just told the Lord, I said, Lord, I'll do whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. You know, I just went to him and said, I need, I'll do whatever it takes. I don't want to be, I don't want to end there. And, you know, as soon as you pray prayers like that, you know, he moves, right? You know, it's funny. I was listening to one of the, you know, your podcast, you're talking about Exodus and the call, you know, to, you know, God gave you freedom. And we, I'd listened to that podcast the same week we had, we had been in Exodus with our family. I mean, this last, this was last week. And um, just going again and visiting that scripture there at the end of chapter two, where, you know, the, the Israelites reach the end of themselves, you know, and they, they, they finally cry out, Mine. you know, they finally, 400 years. yeah, it's 400 years, but there's, they, they finally, their suffering reached a point. They cried out to God and it says his cries came in, uh, you know, to heaven and he heard them. And he remembered his promise and he and he began to move. And you see the very next verse, he's talking to Moses in the burning bush, just how when we reach that end of ourselves, when we reach that place where if you don't do something, God, I'm done here. Mm-hmm. And you cry out to him, he moves just like he, you know, they cry out. They have no idea that God's traveling all the way over, you know, to the, you know, the tip of the country next to them talking to this shepherd out in the middle of the desert through a burning bush on their behalf. And that's what God began to do. He, uh, I'll never forget my dad, which this is so uncharacteristic of him. Uh, but he had got a hold of the wild at heart book by John Eldridge at his church and some guys that were reading it together. And, um, which is just crazy. If you know, I mean, I, I, so my dad writes this handwritten note in the front page and drops wow. this off at my house. Now, I already told you about my, the process with my dad and all that by this time. Anyway, it's just like, I, you know, I don't know if I have a, you know, I mean, my dad writing something to me and that. So of course I read that book. I was so moved by that. Um, and that, that began to unlock some things. God brought that book in, um, how people grow you read this book, it's how, what the Bible teaches about spiritual growth. And I just, it changed my life. I mean, but he's constantly giving all these examples of small groups and men, you know, and women in face-to-face small community speaking truth or doing this or doing, but you know, he's going through grace and truth and time and 
just the Bible's role in growth and people and just, you know, the chapters are really pretty profound. But um, every, always the example is this, I was like, I, I got to do this. Right. So it was just, he put that book and then he convicts me of that. And I start grabbing other brothers and we're like, we're just a blind leading the blind, but God was, was showing up. Um, so just started reading that and okay, let's get some brothers together. And the only thing I knew to do was read this book. So I said, we're going to read this book together. I ended up reading that book like four or five times. He's <laughs> like, get these guys together. And we start reading What does it bring up? But we were, um, but we were beginning to look inside and then, my wife actually started going to counseling first for her own reasons in 2005, right after our our our, our fourth was born, Charis, which means grace. That's Greek for grace. But that's really when God began. He marked our family with her in a move away from law and religion and performance. Because I grew up in churches of Christ, which are, you know, such good people with good hearts, very dedicated to God and the Word and Scripture but very caught up in performance, you know, and needing to, you know, we, we, you know, we have to get it right. And, um, you know, or God's gonna not accept us, you know, it was very, um, unfortunately very, very performance driven. Um, so, you know, I lost my train of thought there, but yeah, we, so I started reading that book and we started starting. Oh, that's Lord, right. She, God, I want to bring up one thing. I yeah. think it's pretty interesting. The wound, your dad left trying to protect you from him. Your dad comes back into this. And what I hear just prophetically is your dad walks up and hands you a key. And it came yeah. in the form of John Eldridge's book. But this is a key that's on. I couldn't go there, but I want you to go there. son. Yeah. And then it's marked by your daughter, the word grace. Yeah that I'm going to set you on a new path and a new journey. And I say this all the time. Freedom is not a destination. It's a process. And enjoy the journey. Enjoy where you are. Yeah, it's 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 so cool to see because I just, after I prayed that prayer, I was just open. And then God brings this. And then you, in that other book, I was meeting a brother uh, at who I went to church with. He was meeting with me. Because I was meeting with this other guy from work. We were going to teach him that, you know, we're going to share the gospel. But I get there, he's reading this book. And I'm like, what is that? You know, and so it's just God began to put these things. I read this book and it's blowing my mind. And I'm like, I don't like, I don't even understand what this is, but but they're always in circles and you know, we got to do this, you know. And so, but she did, and so that was happening. And then she went to she for her own reasons got into counseling and then that was, you know, and then it, that was like in the summer of 2005. And then by early 2006, I had gotten invited because I'm in leadership at church to sort of be a support to these other young men. There's these three brothers, their families, really a lot of brokenness in their family. And and they were going to see Tim Gregory, this counselor. And I was invited for the church leadership to just join them to be a support. So I go, I'm just there supporting them a couple sessions in and I'm just like, I need to see him for me. You know, I'm just like, come on. So two, three sessions. I'm like, so I set up a call and I remember he, we sit down and he says, why are you here? And I remember because my wife, I'm like, she had, she had said something to me about church. It was like Sunday night worship, something. I don't even remember what it was. And I immediately got defensive and she's like, no, I'm just, 
asking this, I'm like, oh, sorry, you know, man, I that defensiveness was completely uncalled for. I'm like, so I, I'm gonna work on that. I'm not gonna be defensive next time. Man, it didn't matter what you know. I, I she'd say something, it would trigger me, and I'd get defensive. And it's like, no matter how hard I tried to not be defensive, I couldn't do it. She'd say something, and it would trigger that reject. Now I know it was that rejection, and I've got to defend myself because I'm being re- I'm being reject. I was fi- everything she's doing was filtered through this lens of rejection, and I heard everything she said with a with laced with rejection, whether. It, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I couldn't, and but I didn't understand. It would just well up in me, and I'd be defensive, and I, I was just nuts. I I was like, no matter what I do, I can't stop myself. And so I went to. He said, "Why are you here?" And I was like, "Because no matter how hard I tried, I can't stop being defensive, and I need to understand why." First step out of the law. Yeah, and that began a process, and he began to introduce me to grace. Come on. Which I had been reading about, and so it was interesting. So. After seeing him for six months or so, and, you know, again, I'd already been reading this book. I've got these men's group. We're, we're trying to be authentic with each other and live this thing out. And I'm in therapy. Now I'm starting to experience it a little bit with him and he's modeling it. And he tried to offer me comfort. Oh, man, I'm so sorry. To, and I just think, you know, that bounce off of me. I like, you know, just, oh, it's okay. Or what, you know, I just deflect, 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 deflect. Every time he'd offer me comfort, I would deflect like nobody's business because again, I don't need comfort, right? I need to understand what boundaries to get broke. So you can. Yeah. So fast forward, the brothers in my men's group, we decided to hire him to do a, a retreat for us. So this was like November, 2006. We do this retreat together, the four of us and him. And he assigns me second Corinthians chapter one, the first few verses to go and just spend some time with the Lord. Of course, he knows he's been watching me deflect every single piece of comfort that I've he's offered me in counseling, right? So he obviously, if you don't know, if you're listening, you know, where Paul, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, blessed be the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles, so that we can comfort others with the comfort we've received. And so I'm sitting with that passage, and the Lord's like, Todd, basically, if you're rejecting comfort, you're rejecting me. Wow. Of course, I wasn't okay with that. And if you don't let me comfort you, you won't be able to comfort anybody you care about. Mm. But the real mm-hmm. one is if you reject comfort, you're rejecting me because I'm the I'm the God of all comfort. I use people to comfort. They comfort with the comfort I've given them. And so when you reject comfort, you reject me. And I was... I wasn't okay with that. And I repented that day. I got convicted. You know, he convinced me, I, you know, to give up that. No, I will not reject comfort. I do need comfort and I don't want to reject you. So I choose to be open to comfort. And that, you know, it's just how God's faithful. If you think about like, he brought this book that primed me up for this. And it was, it was, it was after that too, that God introduced us to growing kids God's way. He did that right. through a set of circumstances, and that really rocked me. Um, I'll never forget some of the lessons I learned there. Was like, oh my goodness, you know, that's began to open my eyes. Um, that book, how people grow. Then we get in this men's group, and then counseling, and then God begins to like break that off of me, and and then I go through that process with that process with my father wound, which I, you know, I'm with Gordon Dalby. We all have father wounds. 
every last one of us, because he's not Jesus. You know, our father was not Jesus. <laughs> you know, he could have been, and I'm not saying your dad's not awesome. He's just not Jesus. So he couldn't have been Jesus for you. He could have modeled Jesus in some ways, but he, he failed in some way, just like I failed to do that. Right. Just like you did, Mark. Mm. So yeah, he, it's so that process of massive healing connected me to him. By this time, I still don't have a relationship. I mean, I have a, I'm saved. And so I have a relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. But at this point, I don't talk to Jesus. I talked to, at that point, I began really communing with the Father um, in intimate ways when that Father wound got healed. And I realized all the stuff I had, all the issues I had with my dad, I was projecting onto the Heavenly Father. Every last one of them I projected onto him. So he's not... He's angry. He's upset. He's disappointed. He's frustrated. He's impatient. You know, he, you know, it's just mm. all of the things, you know, um, I had every last issue I have my earthly father. I projected every last one of them on the heavenly father. And when he healed that place in my heart, he's not him. He never was him. And this was, this was just meant to bring me to him to, and, you know, just, I began to commune with him and, he, you know, and talk with them and spend time with them. And, you know, I got a journal because I'm so ADD. And so, you know, I journal our conversations. I, this father, blah, blah, blah. And he'd say this and I'd write that down and, you know, just journal. And, you know, in the beginning it was what, you know, it wasn't very intimate, but, but as I time grew, it, you know, just grew to be more and more intimate, but he began changing me and, um, what I think is incredible is I listen to you. You know, you're moving from law to grace, as we all do. There's just, I'm almost convinced now it's impossible to not go through the hallway of law of trying to do it yourself. It's, it seems to be steeped in us. But what you're really talking about is you entered into a relationship with him, not reading about him, not trying right. to achieve what was written. That's right. But you know, out of all the people I know, you know, on events and just time together, talking, I'll talk. And he said, Mark, I, I got to read you with the, what the Father said to me there, what Jesus said to me, or what the Holy Spirit, they could discern all three of those things. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's our step, you know, um, yeah. as we start bringing this to a close. I think the step is relationship, and I'm blown away. Mm -hmm. how many times all of us can step away from the relationship piece of this and start doing we're not called human beings we're called human i mean we're not called human doers we're called human beings yeah and to be to be still to receive and it sounds so easy until you hit your wall of rejection or your wall of fear or your wall of trauma or your wall of whatever it is but taking the time and you are one of the most intentional and on purpose guys I know with your time with the Lord. I, I think we both have times that we just, you know, I don't take meetings until after 10 o'clock because in the morning, because I, I, I need it. I want it. I can't survive without it. I don't function. It's not like missing medication. It's missing just knowing and receiving he's with me and so you know you're walking through this relationship todd as we in this tell us how long did it take you to 
finally recognize that rejection's not supposed to be in your heart or in your life where you moved it outside and said, hey, you can keep knocking. I'm not answering the door anymore. Yeah, I, you know, I it's it's crazy for me. I, I you know, I was so thankful. I, the thing that's on my heart is, it's, I, you know, I was so thankful to Tim and, and my brothers because walking with them and their acceptance, their love helped me to realize if they can, you know, like if they can give me grace, if they can accept me, they can receive me, then, then, then maybe, you know, maybe he can, he does, you know, he showed me his love through people first and that gave me enough strength. And I know some people have radical connections to him and then that enables them to, to see others and it goes back and forth. Right. But I mean, as, as I connected with him, I could offer that to others, but it was, the process took years. I, I don't know specifically the rejection piece, but I remember six years into the journey. I was about six years, five, six years into the journey, starting, you know, really counseling where I really started to look inside and get help looking inside. And I was listening to the writer of the shack. I, I forget. His name. Great. But, uh, but he, I was watching an interview and he's like, and he makes the, he's talking about his story. He says, you know, I'm, you know, 11, you know, after 11 years into this journey and I was, and I, I what did he just say 11 years? Like what in the world? I mean, I'm at this point I'm five or six. In, I'm like, no. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, no, tell me it's not gonna be another five years. But, uh, you know, I, I, what I'll say is, is it doesn't matter how long it takes. It's That's absolutely good. worth it. Just start where you are. Mm. Cry out and say, God, I need you. Every single time anyone in scripture and anyone you know has reached the point where they say, I'm done, I need you. He shows up so powerfully and so intentionally and so clearly in your life and, um, and he will not stop. You know, I know we want relief and we want it yesterday, just like we want to supersize it through the drive through but it's just, uh, it, it's only a McDonald's. It's only a McDonald's. It's about the journey. Um, and it's about being with each other and with him. He wants to be with us and it's, it's about removing aloneness and getting to do this together. It's not some destination out there. It's, it's, it's right here. And the journey gets sweeter and more beautiful and more joyful and more just glorious. Just like the scripture says, from glory to glory. So I just encourage whoever's listening, you know, it won't happen overnight, but it will happen. And you know, I'll I'll just go back to my boys. Uh, I call them my boys, even though I think I've only met Townsend face to face. But Townsend and Cloud, the single greatest factor of how long it takes is humility. Wow. The single greatest factor for the length of time it takes to really get healed, mm -hmm. to really walk in your true identity, all that is humility. Man, you heard it on the unbridled life. I listened to that and I go, there's an unbridled way of life and start where you are and cry out. He talked about Exodus that, you know, it's three or 400 years. I think it's 400 years. 
was. And the way that we can read that text is, oh, and then God remembered, like he forgot, like he's got dementia. No, what that scripture is saying is God was waiting for the period of time which he foreknew and spoke to Abraham in Genesis what would happen. That's right. He said, at that exact 400 years, I'll be waiting for them to cry out. So I want you to know that if you're listening today, God has waited for you to cry out. And cry out simply means to invite him in. Mm -hmm. It took Todd six years to make a vow sitting on a water well. It took him 12 years uh, to start this thing gets deeper. But when we hear, hey, it's going to take you four years or five years, there is a joy in the journey. Uh, rejection has been a huge part of my life. You, you know that. And I think from... For me, I like what you said. Have you been delivered from rejection? No. No. Rejection knocks at my door through certain circumstances, um, but I have the privilege and my free will to invite him in so that he can give me a perspective, his perspective, which is true. See, when you're going through rejection, that's a fact. Mm -hmm. It's not the truth, but it feels like the truth. But his truth changes the perspective and the story and the narrative of where we're going. So, Todd, I just want to thank you for coming on, being real, raw, authentic. You know, I bless your mom, your dad, um, your kids, your wife. And I just want to say a prayer. Uh, Father, today, everyone who is battling lonely or loneliness or rejection or porn, or you fill in the blank of what your poison is, and it is poison that you're trying to use to cope in life. Lord, I pray that they would simply cry out and invite you in because you are a faithful God. You yeah. are what Todd talked about, Paul talked about in, in 2 Corinthians, that you're the God of all comfort. You want to give it away, give it away, give it away. It's more precious than money, houses. You want to give comfort away and store that up in people so that we can be the arms and feet in other people. So, Lord, I pray for the people listening today that they'd be blessed, that they'd receive. They wouldn't go so introspective, I'm, I'm broken. Broken simply makes you human and makes you a great candidate for God to have a relationship. God refuses to have relationship with anyone that's not broken mm -hmm. or needy. That is the God we serve. And I've said this and I'll continue to say it. I'm the worst Christian on the face of the planet but I serve the best God and the most graceful God. It's not, Christianity is not about perfection. It it's about his perfection That's through right. you and in use. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Todd, thanks for joining us. I loved every moment of it, brother. Thanks so much, Mark. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to the Unbridled Live podcast. We know your time is valuable, and we hope we bring real and relevant content that helps you live that unbridled life. If you want to help us spread the message, you can rate or review the podcast on whatever platform you like to listen to us and share it with a friend or two. If you want to know more about who we are and what we're doing, head on over to the unbridled life podcast.com and learn more.